So that's really what data-driven decisions at the edge means, which means the people at the top can focus on the future, on the vision, based on the experience that they have, and not on everyday decision-making. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Marcella Cavallero, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard Esri CTO, Jay Theodore, describe how real-time data can dramatically improve and speed decision-making across organizations so they can plan for a profitable future. Leading executives are applying spatial analytics to business and operations to realize digital transformation. Listen to Esri CMO, Mariana Cantor's interview about the power of data-driven decision-making at the edge. Hi, Jane. Thanks for being here with us. Hi, Mariana. Great being here. You're a CTO, and you clearly have a point of view on the digital transformation and all the technologies that are now so hot. Could you unpack digital transformation for us? Sure. Um, Digital transformation can mean many things to many folks. Uh, For some in the early days, it probably had to do with moving from analog devices to digital devices. You know, you could argue that that was the first stage of digital transformation for most folks, for most of us to get familiar with, or doing your, uh, you know, everyday business over the web. That's part of moving to a digital economy, you could say. Those are all parts of digital transformation. But if you look at the world at large today and what's going on, I would say that there are three stages of digital transformation of any city that wants to be smart. Any company or organization that wants to do things better, we can say smarter. And the first stage is trying to create a digital twin. And the reason why it's very critical to create a digital twin is because everything that you see in the physical world, in the real world, if you can digitize them, and that means where your assets are, where your observations are, uh, what results are coming out of these, then everything can be programmable. So as a technologist, I would say, if you don't have things digital, you don't have a good starting point to have this digital transformation. So that's the first stage. Create a digital twin of everything. Make every observation come into the recording. And that's where you maintain your system of record. Once you have that, of course, from your system of engagement, where you have people and processes, you can query where things are, what's the current state of something, you can get sort of like a digital dashboard of everything that's going on. Uh, Lots of C-level execs want to have access to something like that. It's critical. It's critical for a success of any organization. And then the next phase of uh, digital transformation, I would say, is to do with what analysis can you do on what you just collected. That data is only as good as, you know, sitting there and it's probably rotting over time because it's only the most current data that's valuable. What's the historical data to do with the future? So that's where you do analysis. That's where you find trends and patterns and where you need to like start a new store, where you need to shut down a store or a dealership, uh, where you need to route your trucks and cars uh, because it makes sense for whatever you're doing, uh, whether it's to reduce traffic flows, whether to reduce congestion or to optimize the routes for delivery. So all of those are the second phase of it. The analysis phase or the processing, that's where your business goals and your business models come in. The first one had to do with the data model. The second one is a business model. And then you move into the third stage of uh, this digital transformation, which is since everything is programmable now, can you use the past to predict the future? That's the smart transformation. 
everything gets smart and intelligent. And there are various definitions of smart and intelligent. The simplest is if some things have happened before and the result is X, if the same things happen again, why wouldn't the result be X? So because everything is digital, you can predict that. Jay, what about other technologies such as AI? So if you take AI, I'll go back to my um, undergrad days when I was doing computer science. AI was a field uh, that, uh, that was very prevalent, neural networks and artificial intelligence. But the ones who went into that were the ones who were interested in doing a PhD and becoming academics because the technology wasn't there yet. The science was there and we had all the algorithms that we could study and implement, but we had to be assigned supercomputers to solve problems. And those weren't massive problems, they were simple problems we were trying to solve. Uh, it's not like Watson playing chess, for example, okay, and trying to beat uh, a grandmaster. But today what's happened is technology has advanced so much, even in the terms of hardware and processor speeds and so on, that we can do massive distributed and parallelized computation where AI can, you can say, has become mainstream. So when AI becomes mainstream, what it means is you can have deep learning, for example. Deep learning is just a field where you give enough inputs so the machines learn what the outcomes are going to be by having given clues. And over time, they learn more and more, very much like humans. You know, it's really creating a habit on a machine. You know, we are all creatures of habit. Uh, we don't, you know, gain knowledge uh, just right away as we are born. Uh, we gain intelligence based on knowledge that's built up, right? So the same thing is happening with machines, and that's where AI comes into picture. So when you bring AI into, uh, let's say, these uh, digital transformation models, what you're really doing is bringing business intelligence, for example, bringing the intelligence of people in cities, and sometimes we use the term crowdsourcing to get the data, but it's really trying to meet the larger constituents and the citizens of a place in trying to meet those expectations. So it is like bringing human touch and intelligence into machines to get the right outcome. So there is so much here. We're going to have to backtrack a little bit and unpack a few more things. So let's start with the digital twin concept. Um, I understand that it began and was coined in the industry for manufacturing. Um, and the digital twin meant it was a digital representation of a given manufactured product. But now it's really taken hold in, across various industries. Could you sort of give examples of why it matters in various different industries? Sure. Um, I'll take the example of uh, agriculture. Uh, agriculture is based on uh, unsuccessful agriculture and trying to harvest something is based on crop yields, which are based on uh, moisture conditions, which are based on today's world pesticide or, you know, so many other things that are injected to make things happen, right? So in that scenario, if you say what is the digital twin and what's the impact on that, it's really to do with bringing IoT into the picture, uh, the Internet of Things, uh, which are, in this case, sensors that are mounted on uh, farm vehicles, sensors that are on the field, on the ground, that take moisture readings, for example, and uh, you can have uh, aerial imagery from drones that are collected that uh, are able to figure out everything from what's the height of the crop at any given moment, what's been the growth rate, and so on. 
So there are um, companies that we work with. And the way that works is by getting all these readings and in real time making good decisions on what crops are expected at what time based on weather factors, environmental factors, and soil conditions where you don't water too much, you water just about the right quantity. And then as soon as you have some kind of a disease uh, showing up somewhere, how to contain that. So it's really at the end of it, improving the productivity using this loop back from uh, the digital twin, because the digital twin is constantly working for you. So humans can work maybe eight hours, 10 hours or 12 hours. Their intelligence is limited to how many people are in the field, in the ground or looking at data, but machines can be working all the time. So they're constantly doing this. So it's by that factor that we're able to grow uh, and do precision agriculture as an example. That is a fascinating example. So basically digital twin is a digital representation of the physical world. And as we sleep, the digital twin continues to optimize various uh, components of that physical world, which we learn about the next morning right. and implement. Exactly. So it's like the data scientist who is constantly working overnight and doesn't have to get uh, you know, an overtime, doesn't have to get a break. Were you going to give us another example in another industry? Sure. Um, another example would be uh, logistic companies. So in that scenario, it has to do with how can you improve profit margins and at the same time deliver to meet customer needs? Uh, for profit margin, it's, some, it's to do with wastage. Okay. Wastage in the form of how much longer did you take to deliver a package and can we cut the time? And oftentimes trucks are delivering and picking up packages. Uh, and similarly, they are making right turns or left turns uh, at traffic lights, which one makes sense. Uh, does left turn on a yield uh, make a lot of sense for delivery trucks? Or do you just take right turns and you route trucks that way? So there are so many of these things that are possible because once you create the digital twin, you can create a network that's very specific for the kind of delivery that you're doing. And similarly, it's to do with reducing pollution, reducing the number of steps uh, that the driver has to take in order to deliver something. So that's another, that's to do with like digital twin and how it applies to logistic companies. Could you uh, explain to our listeners what location intelligence is? So any kind of intelligence that we say, artificial intelligence that we want to embed into machines and processes needs to be location aware. So the first step is being location aware, which means, you know, there's some location associated with an activity, an event, or a data that's collected. That's the first step. Location intelligence is where you use that piece of information to make a decision. It's going to the next level where every piece of data has location that's built in. So in the case of sensors, it's not just the temperature, for example, of the sensor or the pressure that's monitored. It's also being able to localize that value and say what trends and patterns are emerging around things. Um, I'll talk about machine failures, for example. If there is a trend about all the temperature readings coming from sensors that are co-located, it probably means something else is going wrong. A machine is overheating, as an example. So the what follows on from there is what is valuable. So do you do something to cool down the machine 
or to shut down for maintenance. Those are the consequences of having location intelligence as opposed to reporting that these are the sensor readings and we'll wait for the sensor reading to cross a certain threshold. Okay, that's the old way of doing it. That as opposed to 20 sensors that are co-located reported some anomaly and that is what requires maintenance. So that's, those are two different things. And to a lot of companies, that's a huge cost savings. And to some, it can be a mission critical uh, decision to be made. Uh, do you believe that location intelligence is a critical capability for every industry? Absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, location intelligence is critical for the food truck that's delivering. Okay, so when do I come and park at what time and I serve what customers? Uh, is there a convention going on at a given time? And so what can I anticipate as the uh, sales uh, when I come during a certain time? And in that place, you know, what are the break times? And then uh, there's also, you know, depending on what's happening there, how do I go to my next location where I can make a pretty good sale? And how do I plan for the entire day? Uh, where I spend how much of time and what's the prep for it and so on. That's a simple case, but it's very valuable for the person who's driving the food truck because it can mean a livelihood. Uh, on the other extreme, if you take uh, cases of, uh, uh, we work with a partner, they run many ships. They have ambitious things like building autonomous ships too. They have scenarios where they want to predict failures of ships and their equipment uh, so that the equipment that needs to be replaced can arrive at the next port that they're going to dock. And that's a huge savings as opposed to arriving at the dock and then seeing the failure and then having to pay the dock charges and the loss of business because of you know uh, what the ship was supposed to deliver, where it had to go next, and the need for that equipment to be flown in from another place. So that's a huge impact. It's a huge impact to businesses, the cost, the quality of the delivery, and so on. So those are all examples of location being used in various ways. Where if location is not taken into consideration, uh, in some cases it might just be that you, know, you can't survive anymore. Jay, what are some examples in, let's say, utilities, retail, uh, other industries that uh, you could talk to? That's a good one. Uh, let's start with utilities, for example. Um, so utilities have been around for a long time and they have massive infrastructures. So there, there are quite a few challenges. How do you maintain infrastructure for the purpose of improving the quality of distribution, um, improving the productivity of it uh, in terms of how much wastage happens? And uh, there's a lot going on there. One example that I can talk about is uh, how do you maintain uh, insulators that are present in these uh, power poles? Um, so the way it's done today is by flying uh, helicopters, for example, and taking photographs of each of these at a distance, uh, zooming in and then taking a picture of it. And when you take a picture of it, uh, you could take a picture of uh, these insulators, which are, you know, sort of like, I think they're ceramic or some material like that. Uh, they look like a coil. And uh, 
and then they download these images and they sift through them. Humans today sift through them to see which ones indicate uh, that they are broken and which ones are okay. Now, this is obviously a manual process other than the fact that these are digital images. There's nothing you know, digitized about them. And of course, they are geolocated. And so they have to trace back and find you know, uh, when we need to plan for the crew to go out and fix this. So what uh, systems that are coming up, and uh, these are systems that are fully automated uh, that I would see rolling out uh, very soon are systems that not only maintain the full network of power distribution, but as you fly these, you're probably not flying helicopters, you're flying drones. And as you fly drones, these images are instantly downloaded. They are geo-referenced, of course, and then you're geo-located, and then it gets attached to the nearest pole. So that system of record that has all that information about the distribution line and the poles and so on is instantly updated with new columns that show up whether there was something that was recently recorded and what the image is. And meanwhile, what happens is this is where your business model comes in and it's working with your data model. The business model says, I'm going to run this analysis um, every so often, which could be continuous. This is to do with you know, systems that are intelligent are intelligent all the time. Uh, you don't like shut down intelligence, right? So they are constantly looking at these images that are streaming in and getting updated in your system of observations, in this case, a photograph. And instantly, because we've used deep learning with many images, they know how to identify uh, whether an insulator is broken or not. And to the extent of identifying what model of insulator it was. And that's possible because there's a matchup between the observation and the asset. In other words, when was this pole installed? When was the ins insulator last installed? What model number was it? And if it's cracked, let's send a purchase order for it. And when we do that, not one at a time, but batched. And as soon as these orders are received, let's send the dispatch crew. So here you have one example of the entire utility network coming into the picture, drones and imagery being fed in. There's machine learning, deep learning, and artificial intelligence that's helping you make a good supply chain decision. And then there's workforce management on how to optimize then and send the right crew. So that's the full cycle of how analysis comes in, how intelligence comes in. And none of these things would be possible without location. I have to ask you about um, the role of data in decision making. So people say a lot of things about uh, data-driven decisions, okay? That's like a common term. but we need to really uh, understand how you can bring strength because of that. And now, if it's the same CEO who's looking at the dashboard of information uh, in an iPad, for example, and making decisions every day, everything goes up to the top, okay? It's not scalable. It's not sustainable. So putting a pattern and a framework in is a key part of making everyday data-driven decisions. And I would say the goal is not to go up to the top to get the answer, which today we feel is the right answer because experience is folded in, authority is folded in, 
Instead, what we want to do is help people at the edge who are actually providing customer service, who are delivering the business value to be the everyday decision makers. So when you have a completely digital system, all that this person who's providing the customer service might do is enter the customer name and it says, you know, what challenges they had, what problems they reported and how to compensate for that, how to provide a much more enriched uh, customer service that's systematic, systematic in providing better service and not an exception. It's not like, you know, can I speak to the manager to get the exception, right? It's instead, can I look at my system and the system is intelligent enough to provide you the right answers. So that's really what data-driven decisions at the edge means, which means the people at the top can focus on the future, on the vision, based on the experience that they have and not on everyday decision-making. Jay, this uh, great phrase, decision-making at the edge, um, as it's taken to scale, what are the results? To answer that question, I have to go back to remind you what an org chart looks like. Org charts often start with one or two, extremely few at the top and many at the bottom. So if you look at the touch points, whether it's a city, organized as its employees, providing service to the residents, or whether it's a business that's providing service to the customers, the number of people who touch and influence the business or the city and the quality of the service that's provided is immensely greater as you come to the edge. So just think about it. If they were given the authority to make decisions instantly not based on experience, because most of them are not fully experienced, but based on machine intelligence of repetitive things. So you don't have to make the call up the stack. You don't need to make approvals happen. You can make the decision. The end result of that is a company that's providing great service. So it gets high marks for customer service. So you have repeat customers, you have new customers. You have a city where residents really feel like the tax that you paid for is really put to use and any comments that you give are considered and reacted upon and delivered. So that's what is called a smart city or a smart business coming to fruition because data decisions, data-driven decisions are made at the edge by the people who are most valued by customers. As more and more workflows get automated uh, with this incredible uh, power of um, deep learning, artificial intelligence, what do you see the role of the humankind is going to be? I think the way you can think about it is um, that every so often humans reinvent themselves because they're capable of a lot more. Um, during the manufacturing revolution, okay, it's humans who created those machines. And then humans realize that we can only take it so far because boredom sets in and then we don't achieve a certain bar. And that's why robots were created, right? To manufacture high quality cars, as an example. Similarly, the same thing uh, I see happening here where all the mundane things that we perfected in the first few hours or the first few days of our work we don't need to repeat that same thing over and over again. We can move on into doing more exciting things. 
So everyday work is going to become more exciting because the things that aren't need to be automated. If something is not exciting anymore, or if something needs to be perfected, humans are not perfect. That's another thing to realize, okay? So if, uh, if you want something to be perfected every time, repeatable, it has to be automated. So I would say everything that can be scripted, like what you do each day, if it can be scripted in some form or other, has to be automated, which means it's repeatable. And because it's repeatable, it can be predicted also that we need to be doing these kinds of things and how we can improve upon them. So I would say absolutely everything, our motive should be to automate so that we can save time for ourselves and do more interesting things each day. And every day could be an innovative day. That's fantastic. Boredom as the drive for innovation. That exactly. Is awesome. Yeah. You sound optimistic and that's great. Thank you very much, Jay. Thank you, Mariana. It was great to be here. Thanks for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Jay Theodore for explaining the power of prescriptive analytics and the three stages of digital transformation. Many organizations are using real-time data and location intelligence to drive better, smarter decision-making. To learn more, download our ebook, Making Sense of Digital Transformation at esri.com forward slash wear. To keep current with new interviews, visit our podcast page at esri.com forward slash podcast.